0: book one chapter one of the leopard's spots by thomas Dixon jr this librivox recording is in the public domain recorded by michelle fry book one legree's regime chapter one a hero returns on the field of appomattox general lee was waiting the return of a courier his handsome face was clouded by the deepening shadows of defeat rumors of surrender had spread like wildfire and the ranks of his once invincible army were breaking into chaos suddenly the measured tread of a brigade was heard marching into action every movement quick with the perfect discipline the fire and the passion of the first days of the triumphant confederacy what brigade is that he asked sharply "Cox's north carolina an aide replied as the troops swept steadily past the general his eyes filled with tears he lifted his hat and exclaimed god bless old north carolina the display of matchless discipline perhaps recalled to the great commander that awful day of gettysburg when the twenty-sixth north carolina infantry had charged with eight hundred and twenty men rank and file and left seven hundred and four dead and wounded on the ground that night company f from campbell county charged with ninety-one men and lost every man killed and wounded fourteen times their colors were shot down and fourteen times raised again the last time they fell from the hands of gallant colonel harry bergwin twenty-one years old commander of the regiment who seized them and was holding them aloft when instantly killed the last act of the tragedy had closed johnston surrendered to sherman at greensboro on april twenty sixth eighteen sixty five and the civil war ended the bloodiest most destructive war the world ever saw the earth had been baptized in the blood of five hundred thousand heroic soldiers and a new map of the world had been made the ragged troops were straggling home from greensboro and appomattox along the country roads there were no mails telegraph lines or railroads the men were telling the story of the surrender white-faced women dressed in coarse homespun met them at their doors and with quivering lips heard the news surrender a new word in the vocabulary of the south a word so terrible in its meaning that the date of its birth was to be the landmark of time henceforth all events would be reckoned from this before the surrender or after the surrender desolation everywhere marked the end of an era not a cow a sheep a horse a fowl or a sign of animal life save here and there a stray dog to be seen grim chimneys marked the site of once fair homes hedgerows of tangled blackberry briar and bushes showed where a fence had stood before war breathed upon the land with its breath of fire and harrowed it with teeth of steel these tramping soldiers looked worn and dispirited their shoulders stooped they were dirty and hungry they looked worse than they felt and they felt that the end of the world had come they had answered those awful commands to charge without a murmur and then rolled back upon a sea of blood they charged again over the dead bodies of their comrades when repulsed the second time and the mad cry for a third charge from some desperate commander had rung over the field still without a word they pulled their old ragged hats down close over their eyes as though to shut out the hail of bullets and through level sheets of blinding flame walked straight into the jaws of hell this had been easy now their feet seemed to falter as though they were not sure of the road in every one of these soldiers hearts and over all the earth hung a shadow of the freed negro transformed by the exigency of war from a chattel to be bought and sold into a possible beast to be feared and guarded around this dusky figure every white man's soul was keeping its grim vigil north carolina the typical american democracy had loved peace and sought in vain to stand between the mad passions of the cavalier of the south and the puritan fanatic of the north she entered the war at last with a sorrowful heart but a soul clear in the sense of tragic duty she sent more boys to the front than any other state of the confederacy and left more dead on the field she made the last charge and fired the last volley for lee's army at appomattox these were ragged country boys who were slowly tramping homeward the group whose fortunes we are to follow were marching toward the little village of hambright that nestled in the foothills of the blue ridge under the shadows of king's mountain they were the sons of the men who had first declared their independence of great britain in america and had made their country a hornet's nest for lord cornwallis in the darkest days of the cause of liberty what tongue can tell the tragic story of their humble homecoming in rich northern cities could be heard the boom of guns the scream of steam whistles the shouts of surging hosts greeting returning regiments crowned with victory from every flagstaff fluttered proudly the flag that our fathers had lifted in the sky the flag that had never met defeat it is little wonder that in this hour of triumph the world should forget the defeated soldiers who without a dollar in their pockets were tramping to their ruined homes yet nature did not seem to know of sorrow or death birds were singing their love songs from the hedgerows the fields were clothed in gorgeous robes of wild flowers beneath which forget me nots spread their contrasting hues of blue while life was busy in bud and starting leaf reclothing the blood-stained earth in radiant beauty as the sun was setting behind the peaks of the blue ridge a giant negro entered the village of hambright he walked rapidly down one of the principal streets past the courthouse square unobserved in the gathering twilight and three blocks further along paused before a law office that stood in the corner of a beautiful lawn filled with shrubbery and flowers the old home praise the lord and now i'se feared to see my missy and tell her master charles is dead it'll kill her lord have mercy on my po' black soul how can i he walked softly up the alley that led toward the kitchen past the big house which after all was a modest cottage boarded up and down with weather-strips nestling amid a labyrinth of climbing roses honeysuckles fruit-bearing shrubbery and balsam trees the negro had no difficulty in concealing his movements as he passed lordy dars missy watchin at the winder how pale she look and she was the prettiest bride in the two counties god mighty! i must get somebody to help me i never tell her she dropped dead right before my eyes and haunt me till i die i run fetch to preacher master john durham and he can tell her a few moments later he was knocking at the door of the parsonage of the baptist church nels at last i knew you'd come yasser master john eyes a home hits me and your master is dead i was sure of it but i never dared tell your mistress you came for me to help you tell her people said you had gone over into the promised land of freedom and forgotten your people but now i never believed it of you and i'm doubly glad to shake your hand tonight because you've brought a brave message from heroic lips and because you have brought a braver message in your honest black face of faith and duty and life and love thank you Master john i was obliged to come home the preacher stepped into the hall and called the servant from the kitchen aunt mary when your mistress returns tell her i've received an urgent call and will not be at home for supper i'll be ready in a minute Nels," he said as he disappeared into the study when he reached his desk he paused and looked about the room in a helpless way as though trying to find some half forgotten volume in the rows of books that lined the walls and lay in piles on his desk and tables he knelt beside the desk and prayed when he rose there was a soft light in his eyes that were half filled with tears standing in the dim light of his study he was a striking man He had a powerful figure of medium height, deep, piercing eyes, and a high intellectual forehead. His hair was black and thick. He was a man of culture, had graduated at the head of his class at Wake Forest College before the war, and was a profound student of men and books. He was now 35 years old and the acknowledged leader of the Baptist denomination in the state. He was eloquent, witty, and proverbially good-natured. His voice in the pulpit was soft and clear and full of a magnetic quality that gave him hypnotic power over an audience he had the prophetic temperament and was more of poet than theologian the people of this village were proud of the man as a citizen and loved him passionately as their preacher great churches had called him but he had never accepted there was in his makeup an element of the missionary that gave his personality a peculiar force he had been the college mate of colonel charles gaston whose faithful slave had come to him for help and they had always been bosom friends he had performed the marriage ceremony for the colonel ten years before when he had led to the altar the beautiful daughter of the richest planter in the adjoining county Durham's own heart was profoundly moved by his friend's happiness, and he threw into the brief preliminary address so much of tenderness and earnest passion that the trembling bride and groom forgot their fright and were melted to tears. Thus began an association of their family life that was closer than their college days. He closed his lips firmly for an instant, softly shut the door, and was soon on the way with Nell's on reaching the house nels went directly to the kitchen while the preacher walking along the circular drive approached the front his foot had scarcely touched the step when mrs gaston opened the door oh mr durham i am so glad you have come she exclaimed i've been depressed today watching the soldiers go by all day long the poor foot-sore fellows have been passing i stopped some of them to ask about colonel gaston and i thought one of them knew something and would not tell me i brought him in and gave him dinner and tried to coax him but he only looked wistfully at me stammered and said he didn't know but somehow i feel that he did come in doctor and say something to cheer me if i only had your faith in god i have need of it all tonight madam he answered with a bowed head then you have heard bad news i have heard news wonderful news of faith and love of heroism and knightly valor that would be a priceless heritage to you and yours nels has returned god have mercy on me she gasped covering her face and raising her arm as though cowering from a mortal blow here is nels madam hear his story he has only told me a word or two nels had slipped quietly in the back door yes a missy I'se is home at last she looked at him strangely for a moment nels i've dreamed and dreamed of your coming but always with him and now you come alone to tell me he is dead lord have pity there is nothing left there was a far-away sound in her voice as though half dreaming yes missy Day is i just seed him my young master dem bright eyes de very nose de chin de mouth he walks just like master charles he talks like him he de very spit er him and how he has growed he'll be a man for you knows it and I's got a letter from his pa for him and a letter for you missy at this moment charlie entered the room slipped past nels and climbed into his mother's arms he was a sturdy little fellow of eight years with big brown eyes and sensitive mouth yes yeah, old grant was a pushin us dar a foe richman Peered to me like massa robert had been fightin him every day for six months he just keep on pushin' and pushin' us. Master Charles say to me one night, adder I been playing the banjo for the boys, come to my tent, Nels, for turning in. I wants to see you. He talked so solemn-like, I cut the banjo short and go right along with him. He been a-writin' and done had two letters writ. He say, Nels, we want to get out in these trenches tomorrow. It'll be my last charge. I feel it. "'If I falls, you takes my sword and watch "'and these letters back home to your missus "'and young master, and you promise me boy "'to stand by him in life as I stand by you. "'He know I love him better than anybody in this world, "'and that I'd rather be his slave "'than be free if he's dead.' "'And I say, "'Dad, I will, Master Charles.'" "'Then the next day, we up and charge old Grant.' Pears appears to me I never see so many dead Yankees on this earth as we see layin on the ground where we break from them lines. But they just keep fetchin up another army back of the one we breaks. Twill, by and by, they swing a whole million of Yankees right plumb behind us, and five million of freshens will come a swoopin' down in front. Then you ought to see my master. He just kind of riz in the air to me like he was a foot taller and say to his men bow face and charge the line in the rear well sir we cut a hole clean through them yankees in a minute and then about face again and begin to walk backwards to fight like wild cats every inch we get most back to the trenches when master charles dropped just like a flash i run up to him and there was a big hole in his breast where a bullet gone clean through his heart. He never groaned. I took his head up in my arms and cry and take on and call him. I pull back his clothes and listen at his heart. It was still. I take the swode and the watch and the letters out in the pockets and start on. When, breast God, here come that whole Yankee army, ten hundred millions, and they trample all over us. Then I hear a Yankee say to me, Now my man you's free. Yes, sir, says I, dat's so and then I see a hole to run where they weren't no Yankees, and I run sprang into a million mo. The Yankees was everywhere. Peered to me like they riz up out of the ground. All dat day I tried to get away from em. Even long bout night they rested me and fetched me up for a general, and he say "'What you tryin' to get through our lines for a nigger? "'Don't you know you're free now? "'And if you go back, you'd be a slave again.' Dat's so, sir,' says I, "'but I was bleached to go home.' "'What fur?' says he. "'Promise Master Charles to take these letters "'and sewed and watch back home to my missus "'and young master, and they waitin' for me, see's. "'I was bleached to go.' Then he took the letters and read a minute and his eyes get to water and he choke up and say, Go long. Then I skidaddled again. They kept on catching me till by and by a nasty, stinking, low-life, slew-footed Yankee caught me and stayed that I was a dangerous nigger and sent me with a lot of our prisoners way up to old Johnson Island where I most froze to death. I stayed there till one day, a fine lady, what say she from Boston, come along, and I up and tells her all about Master Charles and my missus and how they all waitin' for me and how bad I want to go home. And the next news I knowed, I was on a train and whizzing down home with my way all paid. I get with our men at Greensboro and come right on fast as my legs would carry me. There was a silence for a moment, and then slowly mrs Gaston said, May God reward you, Nell. Yes'm, I'se free, missy, but I gwine to work for you and my young master. mrs Gaston had lived daily in a sort of trance through those four years of war, dreaming and planning for the great day when her lover would return a handsome, bronzed, and famous man. She had never conceived of the possibility of a world without his will and love to lean upon. The preacher was both puzzled and alarmed by the strangely calm manner she now assumed. Before leaving the home, he cautioned Aunt Eve to watch her mistress closely and send for him if anything happened. When the boy was asleep in the nursery adjoining her room, she quietly closed the door, took the sword of her dead lover-husband in her lap, and looked long and tenderly at it. On the hilt she pressed her lips in a lingering kiss. Here his dear hand must have rested last, she murmured. She sat motionless for an hour, with eyes fixed without seeing. At last she rose and hung the sword beside his picture near her bed, and drew from her bosom the crumpled, worn letters Nels had brought. The first was addressed to her. In the Trenches Near Richmond, May 4, 1864 Sweet Wifey i have a presentiment tonight that i shall not live to see you again i feel the shadows of defeat and ruin closing upon us i am sure day by day that our cause is lost and surrender is a word i have never learned to speak if i could only see you for one hour that i might tell you all i have thought in the lone watches of the night in camp or marching over desolate fields many tender things i have never said to you i have learned in these days i write this last message to tell you how more and more beyond the power of words to express your love has grown upon me until your spirit seems the breath i breathe my heart is so full of love for you and my boy that i can't go into battle now without thinking how many hearts will ache and break in far away homes because of the work i am about to do I am sick of it all i long to be at home again and walk with my sweet young bride among the flowers she loves so well and hear the old mocking bird that builds each spring in those rose bushes at our window if i am killed you must live for our boy and rear him to a glorious manhood in the new nation that will be born in this agony i love you unto the uttermost and beyond death i will live if only to love you forever always in life or death your own charles for two hours she held this letter open in her hands and seemed unable to move it and then mechanically she opened the one addressed to charles gaston jr my darling boy i send you by nails my watch and sword it will be all i can bequeath to you from the wreck that will follow the war this sword was your great-grandfather's he held it as he charged up the heights of king's mountain against ferguson and helped carve this nation out of a wilderness it was a sorrowful day for me when i felt it my duty to draw that sword against the old flag in defense of my home and my people you will live to see a reunited country hang this sword back beside the old flag of our fathers when the end has come and always remember that it was never drawn from its scabbard by your father or your grandfather who fought with jackson at new orleans or your great-grandfather in the revolution save in the cause of justice and right i am not fighting to hold slaves in bondage i am fighting for the inalienable rights of my people under the constitution our fathers created it may be that we have outgrown this constitution but i calmly leave to god and history the question as to who is right in its interpretation whatever you do in life first last and always do what you believe to be right everything else is of little importance with a heart full of love your father charles gaston this letter she must have held open for hours for it was two o'clock in the morning when a wild peal of laughter rang from her feverish lips and brought aunt eve and nels hurrying into her room it took but a moment for them to discover that their mistress was suffering from a violent delirium they soothed her as best they could the noise of confusion had awakened the boy Running to the door leading into his mother's room, he found it bolted, and with his little heart fluttering in terror, he pressed his ear close to the keyhole and heard her wild ravings. How strange her voice seemed! Her voice had always been so soft and low and full of soothing music. Now it was sharp and hoarse and seemed to rasp his flesh with needles. What could it all mean? Perhaps the end of the world, about which he had heard the preacher talk on Sundays. At last, unable to bear the terrible suspense longer, he cried through the keyhole. Aunt Eve, what's the matter? Open the door quick. No, honey, you mustn't come in. Yo ma's awful sick. You run out to the barn, catch de mare, and fly for de doctor while me and Nell stay with her. Run, honey. Day's nothing to hurt you his little bare feet were soon pattering over the long stretch of the back porch toward the barn the night was clear and sky studded with stars there was no moon he was a brave little fellow but a fear greater than all the terrors of ghosts and the white sheeted dead with which negro superstition had filled his imagination now nerved his child's soul his mother was about to die his very heart ceased to beat at the thought he must bring the doctor and bring him quickly he flew to the stable not looking to the right or the left the mare whinnied as he opened the door to get the bridle it's me bessie mamma's sick we must go for the doctor quick the mare thrust her head obediently down to the child's short arm for the bridle she seemed to know by some instinct his quivering voice had roused that the home was in distress and her hour had come to bear a part in a moment he led her out the gate climbed on the fence and sprang on her back now bess fly for me he half whispered half cried through the tears he could no longer keep back the mare bounded forward in a swift gallop as she felt his trembling bare legs clasp her side and the clatter of her hoofs echoed in the boy's ears through the silent streets like the thunder of charging cavalry how still the night he saw shadows under the trees and leaning low on the mare's neck patted her shoulders with his hands and cried, Faster, Bessie, faster, and then he tried to pray. Lord, don't let her die. Please, dear God, and I will always be good. I am sorry I robbed the bird's nest last summer. I'll never do it again. Please, Lord, I'm such a wee boy, and I'm so lonely. I can't lose my mamma. And the voice choked and became a great sob. He looked across the square as he passed the courthouse in a gallop. And saw a light in the window of the parsonage and felt its rays warm his soul like an answer to his prayer. He reached the doctor's house on the further side of the town, sprang from the mare's back, bounded up the steps, and knocked at the door. No one answered. He knocked again. How loud it rang through the hall! Maybe the doctor was gone he had not thought of such a possibility before he choked at the thought springing quickly from the steps to the ground he felt for a stone bounded back and began to pound on the door with all his might the window was raised and the old doctor thrust his head out calling what on earth's the matter who is that it's me Charlie Gaston my mamma's sick she's awful sick I'm afraid she's dying you must come quick all right sonny i'll be ready in a minute the boy waited and waited it seemed to him hours days weeks years to every impatient call the doctor would answer in a minute sonny at last he emerged with his lantern to catch his horse the doctor seemed so slow he fumbled over the harness oh doctor you're so slow i tell you my mama's sick Well, well, my boy, we'll soon be there, the old man kindly replied. When the boy saw the doctor's horse jogging quickly toward his home, he turned the mayor's head aside as he reached the courthouse square, roused the preacher, and between his sobs told the story of his mother's illness. Mrs. Durham had lost her only boy two years before. Soon Charlie was sobbing in her arms. You poor little darling, out by yourself so late at night were you not scared she asked as she kissed the tears from his eyes yes am i was scared but i had to go for the doctor i want you and dr durham to come as quick as you can i'm afraid to go home i'm afraid she's dead or i'll hear her laugh that awful way i heard tonight of course we will come dear right away we will be there almost as soon as you can get to the house he rode slowly along the silent street looking back now and then for the preacher and his wife as he was passing a small deserted house he saw to his horror a ragged man peering into the open window before he had time to run the man stepped quickly up to the mayor and said who lived here last little man old mrs sperlin answered the boy where is she now she's dead the man sighed, and the boy saw by his gray uniform that he was a soldier just back from the war, and he quickly added, Folks said they had a hard time, but Preacher Durham helped em lots when they had nothing to eat. So my poor old mother's dead. I was afraid of it. He seemed to be talking to himself. And do you know where her gal is that lived with her? She's in a little house down in the woods below town. They say she's a bad woman, and my mamma would never let me go near her. The man flinched as though struck with a knife, steadied himself for a moment with his hands on the mare's neck, and said, You're a brave little one to be out alone this time of night. What's your name? Charles Gaston. Then you're my colonel's boy. Many a time I have followed him where men were falling like leaves. I wish to God I was with him now in the ground. Don't tell anybody you saw me them that knowed me will think i'm dead and it's better so good-bye sir said the child i'm sorry for you if you got no home i'm after the doctor from my mamma. she's very sick i'm afraid she's going to die and if you ever pray i wish you'd pray for her the soldier came closer i wish i knew how to pray my boy but it seemed to me i forgot everything that was good in the war and there's nothing left but death and hell But i'll not forget you goodbye when charlie was in bed he lay an hour with wide staring eyes holding his breath now and then to catch the faintest sound from his mother's room all was quiet at last and he fell asleep but he was no longer a child the shadow of a great sorrow had enveloped his soul and clothed him with the dignity and fellowship of the mystery of pain End of Book 1, Chapter 1